This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. to Worth Recovery, a podcast featuring women in sex addiction. I'm Amy. I'm a recovering sex addict, and I have been sober since December 2nd of 2012. I just wanted to start with really thanking you for listening today. Thank you for tuning in and doing something today to move your recovery forward. One of my sponsors once told me that recovery is like climbing a down escalator. You can't stop moving because your addiction will just naturally move you backwards. I'm sure that that can be extended to all sorts of things in life, or probably maybe just life in general, but I do think that it is very, very true of recovery. She would say, Amy, you're always progressing. You're either progressing in recovery or you're progressing in your addiction, but you're always progressing. I have found that to be so, so very true. So good for you for doing something today to move your recovery forward in a positive direction. This episode, episode 19, is the continuation of our deep dive into the 12 steps. We're continuing today with step two. Step two being came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. In episode 17, we discussed how this step begins, came to believe. A quick refresher, we begin to work this step by coming. We came, it says. Over and over and over and over and over again, we came to meetings. As we attended these meetings over and over and over and over and over again, we started to come to. We woke up. We came to our senses. We started to see reality. As we witnessed others discussing their lives and their addictions, and as we discussed our own lives and our own addictions, we came to. We started to see the powerlessness and the unmanageability that we were living every single day. We came to. This jarring waking up created some discouragement and maybe even some despair. I know it did for me. How are we supposed to change if we are powerless to do so, we asked ourselves. But as we looked around at these meetings that we were attending over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, we saw others changing their lives. We saw others making it. We heard about others making it. We came to believe that change was possible, that we could find recovery and build a happy, successful life. We came, we came to, we came to believe. So what exactly do we believe in? We heard them talk about a power, a power that came from outside, a power greater than themselves that was helping them to make these necessary changes. But where and how were we to find this power? I love this idea from the AA book. It's um, Alcoholics Anonymous, page 45, quote, well, that's exactly what this book is about. Its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. That means we have written a book which we believe to be spiritual as well as moral. And it means, of course, that we are going to talk about God. Close quote. 
And some of us, as we entered into recovery, wanted to do anything but that. Anything to talk about a higher power, a creative intelligence, a master planner, a god. The 12 and 12 book says it perfectly, I think. It says, quote, look what you people have done to us. You've convinced us that we are alcoholics and that our lives are unmanageable. Having reduced us to a state of absolute helplessness, you now declare that none but a higher power can remove our obsession? Some of us won't believe in God, others can't, and still others who do believe that God exists have no faith whatever he will perform this miracle. Yes, you've got us over a barrel, all right, but where do we go from here? Close quote. That's a great question. Where do we go from here? I'm not here to define your higher power for you or discuss or debate the existence of God or what form, shape, or characteristics this being might have. I want to tell you a few stories from my own experiences and then leave you with a challenge. I grew up both spiritual and religious. Prior to entering into recovery, I had many experiences with my higher power. I had experienced miracles even, I would say. Attending religious services was an important part of my life, and I was diligent about praying and communicating with my higher power, whom I call God. But there was something lacking, for sure. I was one of those that the 12 and 12 refer to that believe God exists, but have no faith whatsoever he will perform this particular miracle in my life for me. I felt I had gone too far. I felt that the deception in my life, the duality, the massive code of ethics that I had violated was just too much. I believed in God, just not a God that had any time or really even any patience for me. God's forgiveness extended to everyone but me, I told myself. I had even stopped praying. Prayer felt useless when all I could focus on was what I had done wrong. It was a terribly shaming experience, recounting over and over again the terrible things that I had done. I knew there was no way I could ever make up for what I had done, and so I really just quit trying. I got into recovery and I started attending 12-step meetings. I was grateful when I read that we could substitute our group as our higher power. Here was a group of people making recovery work in their lives. They loved me, they wanted me to succeed, they were accepting, and they did everything that they could to help me. I figured if I could just trust in them and do what they said, I might be able to make recovery work for me. And so that's what I did. But over time, I was still bothered, though, about the idea of a higher power that would work for me, not against me. And I continued to listen intently as people would share their experiences with a higher power who helped them, who did for them what they were not able to do for themselves. I had two experiences close together that combined really changed my life. They aren't earth shattering. In fact, some would say they were probably quite mundane. They were not even my own experiences. They were occasions when I was present to hear someone else's experience. At a 12-step meeting early one Friday morning, really early, (laughs) too early, really, a gentleman shared about his struggles with consciously connecting with his higher power. I don't remember his name, and he probably has no idea how impactful his share was on me. As a group, we had been studying step 11 about consciously connecting with our higher power and seeking his will for us. I listened to him share with absolute fascination. 
I believe it was t-ball season. It was a sports season for sure, and he was coaching his son's team. He was talking about coaching in general, the role of a coach, the different jobs a coach has, encouraging, correcting, disciplining, supporting, motivating. It was his job to do all of these things for his players on the field. The best coaches can balance all of these roles and move their players forward to success, he explained. It's not the job of a coach to beat their player down so far that they can't perform on game day. It's also not the job of a coach to put up with disrespectful or unproductive behavior. The job of a coach is to prepare their players in every way possible to perform their very best on competition day. He then talked about the fact that not everyone is a good coach. Many times people focus on one of the roles and ignore the others. I know I've had an experience like that with a coach, and I'm sure you've had an experience with a coach or seen a coach like that who maybe only focuses on the negative aspects of their players. They yell, scream, berate their players. If you had that experience as a child, it might have even turned you off from the sport altogether. Or maybe you've seen a coach who only focuses on encouraging. There's no discipline on the team at all. They goof off and they aren't successful working together in the name of having fun or being well-liked. I'm sure we've all seen a variety of coaches in our lives. Next, he made a comparison that would forever change my life. When I was younger, he told us, my parents and the church I attended emphasized the negative aspects of God. They told me he was judging us and that we, he knew every bad thing we had ever done. They told me that it was important I always ask God for forgiveness, to repent for all the bad things I did every day. And they told me that every day I was doing lots of really bad things. But they didn't even know I was masturbating or looking at pornography. They didn't know half of the really bad things I was doing. I figured if they were telling me I was doing lots of bad things already and that God was judging me, but they didn't even know about my masturbation and some of the other things I was doing, then I was surely going to hell, he said. <laughs> they seemed to think God was already upset with me about just the little bit of my life that they knew. I figured God knew everything about my life, and so I concluded that there was no hope for me. This was long before I had ever gotten into some of my serious addictive behaviors. Once I got addicted to pain meds and then started to see prostitutes and started cheating on my wife, I knew God would want nothing to do with me. I felt his pain. That is very close to how I viewed God at that time in my life. Maybe when I was younger, God was willing to work with me. But now that I was older and had progressed a lot further in my addiction and behavior, God had written me off. And so I had written him off, which is kind of this mutual understanding that we had. Then he told us about how things changed. As he started recovery and worked through the steps, he had to really investigate what he believed to be true about a higher power. He expressed gratitude to the group for being his higher power as he took the time and challenged and explored his own ideas about what a higher power really is. Through work, prayer, meditation, writing, and talking with others, he now viewed God as his coach. He even called him and referred to him as his coach when he prayed and when he talked about God. God was his coach with the goal of helping him perform at his very best in every aspect of his life. This experience, listening to this experience, was a game changer for me. I remember getting in my car and driving to work saying the words, God is my coach. 
over and over and over and over and over again. What did that mean exactly, though, that God was my coach? Within a few days, I had another experience that helped shape this new idea of a higher power in my head at another meeting. Again, I don't remember the name of the gentleman who shared, but the story was something like this. He was driving on a Saturday morning, and he got a 911 text from his son. Panicked, he frantically calls his son to figure out what the problem is. This boy mows lawns for many of his neighbors on Saturdays for extra money. This particular morning, he was fertilizing all the lawns with little, like, pellet-like fertilizer. However, he had somehow mixed up the bags at the house that he was at. And instead of applying fertilizer at the house, he had applied some kind of heavy-duty weed and grass killer that he was only supposed to use in the flower beds. He was really upset and scared and said to his dad something like this. I don't know what to do, Dad. I totally screwed up, and all I could think to do was call you and ask for help. This man coached his son through how to talk to the homeowner, explain what happened, and that he would pick up some grass seed and come home to help him fix the problem. But after he got off the phone, he was overwhelmed and began to cry. And he cried in the meeting, too. He'd been struggling with working step two in his own life and struggled believing that God would want to help him fix the problems he had created. And then he thought of his own son and how frightened and scared he was and how he didn't know what to do but to call his dad and ask for help. He knew he would do anything possible to help his son. He knew of the love he had for his own son. He knew then that he needed to give his higher power another chance, that he needed to be willing to try again. These two experiences happened back to back for me within the same week, if I remember right. And they sunk deep into my heart, these stories did. I learned two important lessons that changed my life. First, I needed to be willing to give God another chance. And second, I needed to be willing to challenge my own thoughts and beliefs about the character and nature of my higher power. Was my higher power a coach? Or was it this overbearing, judging person that I had believed to be? First, I needed to be willing to give my higher power another chance. As we talked about in episode 18, I have an intimacy disorder and I struggle to build positive relationships with the real, tangible people in my life that I actually see every day. Why did I think that I had this whole higher power and God thing figured out? If I struggle with relationships with people that I see every day, then of course I would struggle developing a relationship with the higher power. I needed to be willing to try again. And I prayed for that willingness and thought about that and talked to other people about it. Just that idea, that idea that I needed to be willing, put a crack in my hardened heart and started to open me up a little bit. Next, I needed to figure out what I believed about my higher power. What exactly did I believe about the purpose and mission of a higher power? What was the shape and form of a higher power? What was my relationship to this higher power? And did I matter to them? I recognized that a lot of the beliefs I held had been told to me in childhood. I believed them, never questioned or challenged them. But now I knew I had to. I knew that if I was going to continue onward in recovery, I had to have a very clear idea of what I actually believed before I could start to question these beliefs and find out what was really happening for me. I wrote, I talked with others, and I wrote some more. 
I really tried to just figure out what I believed in my heart about this higher power. I put everything down, positive and negative, everything. I wrote about some of the experiences I had had with God. I wrote about some of the times in my life when I felt close to him. I wrote about some of the times when I felt his love for other people in my life. Some of the ideas and thoughts that I had were almost embarrassing to me, but I wrote them down. I wrote about the times I felt distant or that I felt that there was no God. I wrote about all the horrible things that had happened in the lives of the people that I loved and in my own life. I wrote questions for God. Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Why was I struggling? Why am I struggling? Why did I have this addiction? Why don't you answer me? Why can't I seem to give this up? All sorts of things, all sorts of questions. Everything I ever wanted to know from God and about God, I wrote down. And then I started seriously evaluating those beliefs. Were they true? Were they working for me? What evidence did I have in my own life of the truth of these beliefs? This is when I was first introduced to the concept of firing the God of your childhood. Have you heard that term? Some of the beliefs I held about God were childish and weren't really working for me. I had to learn to evaluate those beliefs and see if they held true in my new recovery paradigm. I had to find out if that was really, really what I believed. All along the way, I thought about some of my own coaches throughout my life. I can still remember some of the things that they said to me. I thought about coaches I admired, coaches that had successful teams. I thought about their qualities, kind, quick to laugh, held me to a high standard, forgiving, determined, motivating. They seemed to see in me something that I didn't see in myself, something better than what I was doing or how I was performing. They motivated me to try and see that as well. I tried to incorporate these ideas into what I believed about my higher power. Then I had to get down on my knees and I decided to pray again. But this time, I was going to be really, really honest in my prayers. I wasn't going to spend my time recounting every single thing I had done wrong and asking for forgiveness. I decided to try and really change the way I talked with God. So I started to say things like this. I don't really want to pray tonight, but I'm scared to go to sleep because I've been struggling all day with fantasy. I don't know what to do. Or... I acted out again. I don't know how to handle life. I'm sad. I'm lonely. I'm discouraged. And I don't really feel like trying again. And I don't know how to handle that. Or I'm really, really, really grateful that I made it through that trigger. I don't know how I did it. You must have helped me because I can't do that on my own. I also started asking God questions. No better place to get answers than from the source, right? I prayed and I asked if God existed. I asked about who this being was. I asked about his purpose and mission. I asked about my relationship to him. I asked about how he wanted me to act. I asked about what he wanted me to do. And I told him I was angry at him for several things. I told him I was jealous and envious of people who didn't have an addiction. I told him I didn't understand why I was in this situation and why anything had happened to me. And you know what? Answers came. Not all at once. Not immediately. Not in the way I wanted them or the way that I expected them, but they came. I came to believe. I learned to feel how my higher power communicated with me. And I totally believe that it is different for all of us. Things started to change. I'll tell you of two particular experiences. I was really struggling with being angry and really hating people. I felt like I hated everyone. 
Everyone that could have sex. Everyone who had ever had sex. Everyone who had never had sex. Everyone in a relationship. Everyone who had ever acted out with me. Everyone who was trying to help me. I hated everyone. I wanted everyone to go away and just leave me alone. But I also hated that I hated everyone. Why couldn't I get over things? Why couldn't I fix things and move on? I hated that I was so angry all of the time. I prayed about it over and over and over again. I prayed about it. And then one night, late one night, I was watching a recorded episode of Bones, the TV show Bones. I love Bones. That could be a whole podcast episode in itself, how much I love that TV show. Anyway, two of the characters, Jack and Angela, were engaged and had just broken up. The breakup was starting to adversely affect Jack's work and relationships. After several people calling him out on his kind of prickly attitude and terse responses, he goes to see Dr. Sweets, the FBI psychologist that's on the team. He sits on the couch and he says something like, I hate everyone, everyone. And he goes through everyone in his life and why he hates them. I started sobbing. That was how I felt. When he finished... He turns to Dr. Sweets and says, so what, I guess I'm crazy now? What, I need medication, intense therapy, and maybe I should just be committed? And Sweets says, kind of with this little smile on his face, nope, I'm, I'm really good with the hate. Jack is, is just totally floored, and Sweets says, you know, hate's a coping mechanism. Hate all you want. They have this really funny exchange as Jack questions Dr. Sweet's sanity and his whole coping mechanism with hate. Dr. Sweet's finally explains, you are coping. You are going to work. You are interacting with people. You are trying to work through it. It's okay. Soon the hate will wear off and be replaced with something else. I was sobbing by the end and I noticed a warm feeling spread through my chest and shoulders and down my arms. Somehow I knew that God was answering my prayer. I was coping. I was trying. I might hate everyone at the moment, but I knew it would wear off. God knew it would wear off. And I knew that that was an answer to my prayer about the hate that I was struggling with. A few months later, I had another relapse. I remember driving home from work the next day, totally struggling. I started to pray out loud in my car. I do, I do that a lot, like really a lot. <laughs> A lot, a lot. Anyway, this particular day, I was driving along the shores of Lake Washington in Seattle. I remember this feeling of depression. Like I'm never going to get this whole sobriety thing. I'm never going to make it stick. I cried and wanted to pour my heart out to God. But all I could think to say was, I'm trying. I'm trying. Over and over again, I said that. I'm trying. I'm really, really trying. That same warm feeling spread across my shoulders, chest, and down my arms. And I felt the words in my head. Not a voice, but just felt the words. I know, Amy. I know. I found the courage that day to go on, and eventually I did make it stick. But just knowing that God knew that I was trying was enough to help me. Maybe small, coincidental experiences to you, but life-changing confirmation moments to me. What I have learned about my higher power is that he is my higher power. It is a personal relationship. It's as personal as I will let it be. I've learned that the way he communicates with me is personal to me. It's a way that I recognize. He knows the details of my life and he cares about the details of my life, all of them. 
And because my higher power is personal to me, your higher power is personal to you. One of the amazing things about the 12 steps is that there truly is place for everyone to have their own higher power. I love that it says a God of our own understanding. One of the women in my support network calls her higher power the spirits. Another woman believes her higher power to be a woman who loves and cares for her. Some don't believe in a specific higher power with form, but a spirit who tugs here and there on the little strings of society. I'm not asking you to believe in my higher power, nor am I judging your higher power. There is a place here for all varying beliefs, if we allow there to be a place. What really matters is your personal relationship with your higher power and your ability to draw on that power when you need to stay sober and in recovery. The gifts of step two in my life have been many. But by far, the biggest gift of step two in my life has been gratitude for my addiction. See, I have a relationship with a higher power now that I would not trade for anything in this life. And I truly believe that without my addiction, I would not have paid the price to have that relationship. Relationships take time, dedication, and effort day in and day out. My addiction, combined with step two, gave me the opportunity to pay that price. It gave me a temporary higher power in my group that gave me the space and the time I needed in order to pay the price to have a relationship with a higher power. I'm not sure I would have seen the need or been willing to pay that price in any other circumstances. And for that, I will be grateful that I have an addiction. I will be grateful for the opportunities and changes that came into my life because of my addiction and my relationship with my higher power. In our remaining two episodes about step two, episodes 21 and 23, we will discuss how I went about working this step and the ways I questioned and challenged my own beliefs. But my challenge for you today is to really think about and contemplate this question. What and who is your higher power? And is your relationship with them personal? The day I decided to start this podcast, I knelt in my office in my house and said, God, what do you think? Do you think that I have what it takes to do this and help these women in recovery all over the world? Is this a way that maybe I can give back to the community that has literally saved my life? I felt God whisper in my head, Amy, everyone is worth recovery. I know that our higher power is our coach who wants to help motivate, discipline, and correct us and whose goal and intent it is that we perform to the best of our abilities every day in every aspect of our lives. As always, I hope you remember that no matter what is going on in your life right now, No matter how far you think you've gone, no matter how you feel in this moment, no matter what your belief in a higher power is, you are worth recovery. 100% worth it. I know that. Keep up the fight. I think about you. I pray for you. I love you. Until next time.
little stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.